Catholic Family Podcast presents Lent Around the World Daily Traditional Catholic Meditations Read by our friends from across the globe The Passion and Death of Our Lord Jesus Christ by the Most Reverend Albin Goodyear The Vine and Its Branches 1 The Body and Its Members 1 The Fire and the Heated Iron the sun in the burning ray, the wax and the stamp upon it, the drop of water lost in the cup of wine. In many ways have those endeavored to describe it who have best understood and realized in themselves the union of which Jesus speaks. All alike take up his words and echo them down the ages. All alike strain human language to express the truth which they know. The secret of sanctity is union with Christ. The secret of the apostolate is union with Christ. The secret of prayer is union with Christ. The secret that alone can save mankind from withering is union with Jesus Christ. Only by union with him can the Father be glorified, can his work on earth be done, can the fruit of the incarnation and redemption be spread across the world. In this is my Father glorified, that you bring forth very much fruit and become my disciples. Thus, in the symbol of the vine and the branches, Jesus has reached the full teaching of the union he seeks between himself and his beloved man. But on that very account, this is the only place in the whole discourse at the supper where there is heard a threatening word. Treachery, denial, desertion had drawn from him warning and no more. Making light of his love, rejection of him, these evoke the only condemnation he allows himself to utter. If anyone abide not in me, he shall be cast forth as a branch and shall wither, and they shall gather him up and cast him into the fire, and he burneth. But at once, as always, when he warns and threatens, there comes the reaction. He will not dwell on the failure of men. Instead, he will bribe them. He will draw them to himself, win them by his own love to love him in return. Join his own happiness with theirs. Show them how all the joy and glory of the world is linked up with that heroism, that sacrifice of man for man, which he alone can inspire. As the Father hath loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, as I also have kept my Father's commandments and do abide in his love. These things have I spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be filled. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love than this no man hath, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do the things that I have commanded you. How deeply this call to heroism sank into the minds of those who heard it may be judged from all that followed. The acts of the apostles ring with its echo. And they indeed went from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were accounted worthy to suffer reproach for the name of Jesus. St. Paul is full of the same. The charity of Christ presseth us, and Christ died for all, 
that they also who live may not now live to themselves, but unto him who died for them and rose again. To his suffering children about him, St. Peter repeats the same exhortation. For this is thankworthy, if for conscience toward God a man endure sorrows, suffering wrongfully. For unto this are you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving you an example that you should follow his steps. And St. John himself comes back to the same exhortation. In this we have known the charity of God, because he hath laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. In this way did Jesus draw his followers on to heroism by the example of his own heroic love. It was the climax of his teaching, begun when he had told them on the mountain above Capernaum that they were blessed who suffered persecution. Continued when he set it as a standard of life, that if any man would come after him, he must take up his daily cross. Confirmed when he bade them take his yoke upon them and learn of him, because he was meek and humble of heart. But he would press his appeal yet further. He had given them his love as an incentive and a standard for their love. He would now remind them that he had a further claim upon them for they were of his own special choosing. In the early days when they had come to him and had called him Master, and the title had remained with him ever since. At the beginning of the supper he had reminded them that the title was his by right, yet by washing their feet he had shown them how he would interpret it. But in return he had not called them, nor would he now call them what a master had a right to call those beneath him. He had not treated them as his servants. He had treated them always as his equals. He had always called them his friends. He had befriended them when others criticized. He had chosen them apart from others. He had given them their mission. What return should they make to their Lord for all he had bestowed upon them? So winningly, then and always, does Jesus Christ lead on his own. I will not call you servants. For the servant knoweth not what the master doeth. But I have called you friends, because all things whatsoever I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and I have appointed you that you should go and should bring forth fruit, and your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you may ask of the Father in my name he may give it to you. These things I command you, that you love one another. The Sacrifice of Life And now, having thus prepared them by his own example, by his friendship, by his winning of their love in return, he does not hesitate to tell them what will come. He has said it on other occasions, but never so plainly as now. Yet he tempers the bitterness for them by placing himself, as it were, in their midst, in suffering, at least, he will always be with them. If the world hate you, know ye that it hath hated me before you. If you had been of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said to you, the servant is not greater than his master. If they have persecuted me, 
they will persecute you also. If they have kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. But now they have both seen and hated both me and my father. But that the word may be fulfilled which is written in their law. They have hated me without cause. But when the paraclete cometh, whom I will send you from the father, he shall give testimony of me. And you shall give testimony, because you are with me from the beginning. In language so clear, Jesus foretold the history of his own, a prophecy which has been fulfilled in every generation. From the beginning it had been his own lot. The place of his birth had been deluged with innocent blood on his account. When he first came forth to claim his kingdom, the war had been declared between himself and the powers of darkness. The Lord thy God shalt thou adore, him only shalt thou serve. The world may affect to ignore the name of Jesus Christ, but the very ignoring is in itself opposition. And when the day of testing comes, it is soon seen who are and who are not with him. He who is not with me is against me, and he who gathereth not with me scattereth. Jesus Christ has come, and his coming cannot be ignored. He must be heard or he must be refused a hearing. He must be accepted or rejected. In the end, he must be hated or loved, witnessed or denied. It can never be again the same for mankind. Man cannot any longer return even to the paganism from which he rescued it. For if it does endeavor to return, it will be to a paganism which will include an element which was not there before a new hatred of Jesus Christ, and with it a hatred of God himself. He that hateth me hateth my father also. And yet this was not the worst. Hatred from the world was and is to be expected. But the time would come when persecution would vent itself upon them, not only from the world outside, but also from within, in the name and service of God himself. In the name of the religion, Jesus would himself be put to death. Three times at least in his life, we have heard of those who dared not follow him because of this persecution. Of all terrors and anxieties, there was none his disciples feared more than that they should be cast out by their own people. Yet, this too was to come. They would be driven forth. They would be declared enemies of their nation and its ancient faith, they would die the shameful death that belongs only to traitors. All this would be written of them in the history of the world, as such posterity would read of them. These things I have spoken to you, that you may not be scandalized. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the hour cometh, that whosoever killeth you will think that he doth the service to God. And these things they will do to you, because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you, that when the hour shall come, you may remember that I have told you of them. The prophecy, again, was clear and detailed. 
and unmistakable. In the past, warnings such as this had stirred among his own fears and doubts and questions. They could not but stir them again now. Therefore at once, having said what had to be said, he sets himself to answer their questions, to remove their doubts, to fill them with new courage, knowing that in spite of all these things, the victory would, in the end, be theirs. He spoke as a tender physician. He pleaded that they should tr still trust him, though he seemed to desert them, though he seemed to inflict needless suffering. On this theme, as he comes to the end of his discourse, he rises to that eloquence which we have so often heard when he has been greatly moved. But I told you not these things from the beginning, because I was with you. Now I go to him that sent me, and none of you ask me, Whither goest thou? But because I have spoken these things to you, sorrow hath filled your hearts. But I tell you the truth, it is expedient to you that I go. For if I go not, the paraclete will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he is come, he will convince the world of sin and of justice and of judgment, of sin because they believe not in me, and of justice because I go to the Father and you shall see me no more, and of judgment because the prince of this world is already judged. I have yet many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will teach you all truth. For he will not speak of himself, but whatsoever things he shall hear, he shall speak. And the things that are to come, he shall show you. He shall glorify me, because he shall receive of mine and show it to you. All things whatsoever the Father hath are mine. Therefore I said that he shall receive of mine and shall show it to you. A little while and now you shall not see me, and again a little while, and you shall see me, because I go to the Father. We cannot but be impressed by this renewed reminder of the coming separation. Already at the Feast of Tabernacles five months before, Jesus had given the same warning to the Jewish people in the temple court, and his words had stirred much comment among those who heard them. The Jews therefore said among themselves, Whither will he go, that we shall not find him? Will he go to the dispersed among the Gentiles, and teach the Gentiles? What is the saying that he has said? You shall seek me, and shall not find me, and where I am you cannot come. John had simply recorded the event and made no comment. It would seem that Jesus himself had left the Jews in mystery. Now, during the supper, Jesus for the second time comes back to the same theme. Already after Judas had gone out, John has told us of the warning, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me, and as I said to the Jews, Whither I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you. The solemn renewed warning had roused again the anxiety of Simon Peter, and he had asked, Lord, whither goest thou? And Jesus had answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now but thou shalt follow hereafter. To which Peter had protested, Why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thee. And almost immediately afterwards, we are told that Jesus had repeated, If I shall go and prepare a place for you, 
I will come again, and will take you to myself, that where I am you also may be, and whither I go you know, and the way you know. This time it was Thomas who had asked, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? And Jesus had replied, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And again had the warning been repeated, Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But you see me, because I live, and you also shall live. Now at the end, the same warning is given once more. Evidently, it had made a deep impression on the disciple whom Jesus loved. Jesus, whose delights were to be with the children of men, knew full well what the separation would mean, even for a day. These men who had been drawn about him from the beginning and had become bound to him by so many ties, who had learnt to lean upon him as an infallible support, who had left all things and followed him, so that now they had nothing else on which they could rely, were nevertheless to be left for three dark days alone. In the same way in his boyhood, he had left his mother and his foster father, so that even she had been compelled to ask, Son, why hast thou done so to us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And though she received an answer to her question, we are told, and they understood not the word that he spoke to them. Is not this the crowning lesson of the teaching on the spiritual life which we have heard during the whole of this evening's discourse? And because it is the crowning test, is that not the reason why Jesus has repeated it? And why to John the mystic it has meant so much? Jesus had begun with faith and love and trust as the foundation. He had gone on to union as its first reward. With union he had led to joy and suffering. And now, as the extreme of this, he warned his own of that dark night of the soul, that sense of separation from himself, when faith and hope and love would be tried as they could be tried in no other way when union would seem to be a myth because he was not present, when suffering would be doubled because he was not there to share it, when life itself, natural and supernatural, would appear to have lost all meaning. Again and again in the lives of the mystic saints we read of this greatest of all trials. In the lives of those who make no claim to be saints or mystics, the same trial comes in its own way when prayer becomes a blank, when the supernatural goes behind a cloud, when the soul asks questions which it cannot answer, when it is tempted to complain to God that it has been left alone. The Reward Against this crisis, Jesus would prepare his own, then and for always. Later, in the garden and on Calvary, he would give them proof that even he would go through the same sense of dereliction. For the present, they should have an assurance that would carry them through any assault. He paused in his discourse. He allowed the group about him to talk among themselves, and what they said gave him the means to comfort them. Then some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he saith to us? A little while, and you shall not see me, and again a little while, and you shall see me. And because I go to the Father? 
They said therefore, What is this that he saith a little while? We know not what he speaketh. And Jesus knew that they had a mind to ask him, and he saith to them, Of this do you inquire among yourselves? Because I said, A little while, and you shall not see me, and again, a little while, and you shall see me. Amen, amen, I say to you, that you shall lament and weep, but the world shall rejoice, and you shall be made sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But when she hath brought forth the child, she remembereth no more the anguish, for joy that a man is born into the world. So also you now indeed have sorrow. But I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man shall take from you. This is the reward of the dark night, a joy passing human understanding beyond the power of anything in this world to destroy, which I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man to conceive, that anticipation of heaven of which St. Thomas Aquinas speaks. But it is not all. The dark night is not only followed by a morning, it is also followed by strength, such as was not there before. The soul that has passed through the dark night is a soul powerful in prayer, powerful in vision, powerful in experience, powerful in petition before God the Father. And in that day you shall not ask me anything. Amen, amen, I say to you, if you ask the Father anything in my name, he will give it to you. Hitherto you have not asked anything in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. These things I have spoken to you in Proverbs. The hour cometh when I shall no more speak to you in Proverbs, but will show you plainly of the Father. In that day you shall ask in my name, and I shall not say to you that I will ask the Father for you, for the Father himself loveth you, because you have loved me, and have believed that I came out from God. Hence Jesus concludes, as if he would sum up his whole life and its purpose in a single sentence. I came forth from the Father, and am come into the world. Again, I leave the world, and I go to the Father. And there, as the Apostle reminds us, he continueth forever an everlasting priesthood, whereby he is able also to save forever them that come to God by him, ever living to make intercession for us. We have noticed already how the language of Jesus rises to eloquence as he comes to the end of his discourse. In imagery, in concreteness, in vehemence of appeal, it is the language of him who spoke as one having authority. And as at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, it came to pass, when Jesus had fully ended these words, the people were in admiration at his doctrine. So now, at the supper, his beloved eleven were carried out of themselves in wonder and delight. Hitherto, all during the night, they had only asked questions. They had been told that they did not understand and would not till later. Now, a vision had been given to them. They had been given an insight into that world where there shall be no curse any more, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and night shall be no more, and they shall not need the light of the lamp, 
nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall enlighten them, and they shall reign forever and ever.